0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the catechism is going through that period of the year when we're being trained in Christian prayer, we were reminded a few Sundays ago of what we are to pray for. We are to pray, we confess from the teaching of Scripture, we are to pray for all the things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord Himself taught. So, what do we need? Well, the greatest need that we have is right there in the first petition, hallowed be your name. You know, if we look at the hierarchy of human needs, hallowing the name, glorifying the name, exalting the name, worshiping the name is not even on there in the, the, the hierarchy of human needs that are put together by human beings. But Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that that's the biggest thing we need. It's the first thing we need. It's the greatest thing we need. And there's a reason for that, because just as fish were created to swim in the ocean, they need the ocean. Without the ocean, they're dead. So man was created to live and to thrive in the ocean of God's glory. That's where we belong. We were made to glorify, to worship, And to love God. And so we begin our prayer with that, because that's the greatest thing, the greatest reason for our existence. And we we pray, Lord, take me from the drying mud puddle of human self love and plunge me back into the ocean of your love. Take me from the mud puddle of my pathetic. Boastful, sinful, seeking to be impressed with myself, my glory, and put me back where I belong in the infinite ocean of, of being in and seeking and knowing and delighting in worshiping your glory. That's our greatest need. So that's where we start. And then we continue with the next petition Your kingdom come. Because we look around, we say, Lord, there's a lot of stuff here that doesn't glorify your name. There's stuff that doesn't fit, doesn't belong. Fix it. Assert your sovereignty. There is an invader, not just in the garden, there's an invader in the world. There is sin, there is the devil. And Lord, get rid of them. Plant the flag of the gospel, declare your sovereignty. And do that beginning in my heart, and in every heart, and in my home, and in every home, and over every square inch of human life. Plant the banner of the kingdom of God. Declare and demonstrate your glory as you advance with power your kingdom. And then we come to the next petition, your will be done. And we say, Lord, the the kingdom of darkness has invaded Through human sin, through human willfulness, the enemy came in by human choice. And the choice was this, man's will be done. And forget what God says. And so we pray, Lord, turn that around. Fix that. Change that. Bring my heart, my life, my family, our church, our community, our world into submission to your good and perfect will, so that everything works the way it was created to work. And then we come to the next petition, give us this day our daily bread, and and here we acknowledge that we can't fight this battle, we can't live as citizens of the kingdom in our own strength. Lord, the, the night is long, the battle is fierce, We need supplies. Give us the supplies we need to wage war on our enemies, to wage war on the devil and the world of sin and our own flesh, our own old nature. Make us soldiers of the cross so that everything and every moment is laser-focused on obeying your will, advancing your kingdom, and bringing glory to your name. And so give us what we need, Lord, but don't give us for us, but give it for you. And don't let us get sucked in by the enemy and start looking to them to supply us with things that will hurt us and not help us. And then we come to the petition that's before us this afternoon, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And as always, the Bible has a good dose of realism. This is the Lord Jesus teaching us to pray. And in teaching us to pray this, he's reminding us of who we are that we're sinners, and that in this great battle of the kingdom, we mess up and we fail. Often and a lot. I don't always remember the main objective of the war, which is your glory, Lord. I don't remember, I don't live my life in such a way that I'm focused on that day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I lose sight of that, Lord. So forgive me, forgive me. Help me. And I don't always seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but I seek the things of this earth. I, I have my career, my dreams, my, my bucket list. Forgive me. Help me, Lord. And I don't always put your will first. I, I tolerate things in my heart, in my life, in my home, which aren't right. And I don't always follow carefully the standing orders of the great commander-in-chief, King Jesus. I bend the rules, and I apply them in ways which make me more comfortable in my sin and which avoid the painful consequences of being faithful. Lord, I mess up a lot. I mess up often. Forgive me and help me. And I don't always use your gifts And the blessings that you give for the war effort. I use them for my own pleasure. I use them for my own sin. So, Lord, I need forgiveness. Because things are not just a little short of perfect. They're a lot short of perfect. They're a long way away from being perfect. In fact, there is still evil clinging to me. There are things in my heart and my life which are bad. They're of sin. They're of the darkness. They're of the enemy. They're of my old existence outside of Christ, and they cling to me. They stick to me, and I have a hard time getting rid of it. In fact, Lord, if you look at me in terms of who I am in myself, apart from Christ, if you look at me in terms of my own righteousness, my own faithfulness, my own worthiness, well, Lord, I don't have any. But apart from Christ, as I am in myself, by nature, I'm a total train wreck. I'm not even close to beginning to fight the good fight. And the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, I do that. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When Jesus teaches us to pray this prayer, he's teaching us to be very, very honest with ourselves about who we are as sinners. Wretched sinners. Jesus teaches us to be realistic about our problem with sin, but maybe you're sitting here and maybe I'm standing here thinking, well, really? I, I know that I'm not perfect, but I don't think I'm that bad. I don't like that word wretched. I don't like to call myself wretched. What's it doing there in the catechism? What's it doing there in, in the book of Romans in chapter 7? What's it doing there? How can someone who, who is in Christ be called a wretched sinner? Well, we could argue about it being in the Catechism, but the reason it's in the Catechism is because it's in the Bible. And we can't argue about it being in the Bible because the Lord put it there. And in Romans chapter 7, it refers to someone who is in Christ. It refers to the, the Christian you know, if, if, if I don't see myself in that word wretched, you know what that means? It means that I don't know God. It means that I don't know God's will. It means that I don't know God's holiness. It means that I'm like a flickering candle on the wind saying, I think I'm pretty bright. You can only say that if you've never seen the sun at noonday. If you're a Christian who can't see yourself in those words, wretched sinner, then you're a Christian that really needs to do a lot of looking in to the infinite depth of God's perfect holiness. And then you'll get to see yourself real quick as to how you are by nature in your sin. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible, again, is very realistic. We read through the whole chapter there, and you notice the second part of the chapter, the apostle is writing to, to believers. He's writing to Christians, but he doesn't say, rah, 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 this is awesome, you're Christians, and life is really good, and you're perfect people, and there's no problems anymore, it's all victory, victory, victory. He doesn't say that. He says, look, you're in Christ, and this is gorgeous, this is beautiful, you're members of the body, you're growing in love, the Holy Spirit's working with power. So now what you've got to do is stop being like you used to be. That's something you have to do right now. You've got to stop walking like the Gentiles. You've got to realize that you've learned a new way and you've got to start walking that way. Be who you are. Put off your old self. Get rid of the corrupt and deceitful desires. Put away falsehood. Why would Paul tell them to do these things if they didn't have them? Sin is still there, and it needs to be fought against. It needs to be hated. It needs to be put to death and mortified. It needs to be repented of. It needs to be, it, forgiveness for sin needs to be sought in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and why is Jesus teaching us to pray this way? Forgive us our debts. Well, we understand that he's instructing us that we do have debts. As much as we are in Christ, we have debts. We have things that need to be set right. So the apostle in Ephesians 4 is saying, look, you have to be who you are in Christ. There's a lot of stuff of the world still, like this, this goo that's just kind of sticking to you, and it's really hard to scrape off. You've got to get rid of it. There's this darkness there's remnants of the darkness of the world in your heart, and your life, and you got to fight it. you got to shine the bright light of the gospel into every corner of your heart and your life. You need to work at it, and you need to get rid of it. You need to put off the old self. You need to put on the new self. This is what the scripture calls the process of sanctification. It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's given from God, but it's something we're very active in and participate in as he works in us and through us. And so the Lord Jesus, as he teaches us to pray, teaches us to be honest, to acknowledge that there's an awful lot that needs to change in my life, my life. That's the hard thing. It's easy to see the things that need to change in the life of the other people, but things need to change in my life. There are myriad ways in which I do not meet up to God's standards. And so the Lord Jesus confronts us without guilt, without debt, without sin. But he also teaches us not to stop there, not to wallow in our sin and our guilt and say, that's, that's who I am. I'm just, I'm just wretched. I'm just a wretched sinner. Why do I keep sinning? Well, I'm just a wretched sinner. What does God expect from me? I'm wretched. That's not what Jesus teaches us. But he points us out of it He points us to the love of the Father, the patient love of God, the forgiving love of God, and he teaches us to say, Lord, here's the problem, here's the the garbage in my life that's building up and accumulating, and there's this big pile, this big mountain of garbage which separates me from you, and it's a stinking, festering pile of garbage. Lord, I can't deal with it. Lord, I can't clean it up but you can. And so, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us. So, we point to our unworthiness. That's a fact. But we also point to Christ's payment, Christ's sacrifice, Christ's Worthiness, that is also a fact, and that fact that Jesus' blood is powerful and efficient to wash away every sin, that fact trumps the fact of sin in our life. Christ's blood is the basis upon which we can bring our prayer and say, look, Father, look how I'm unworthy. Look at this garbage that has accumulated, which this mountain which separates me from you. But, but look at Jesus, Lord. Oh, Father, look at how, though I am unworthy, Christ is worthy. Though I am a debtor, he has paid the price He has washed me clean. So what we're asking the Lord to do is come in and just wipe away, just erase, just take away that mountain of garbage and shame and guilt. That's all we need to do. We ask the Father for a clean conscience. We say, Lord, if you're looking at me and my sins, I'm dead. I have no hope. But if you look at me in Christ... If you see me in Christ, if you see me as I am in him, clean and forgiven and perfectly righteous, that is my hope and that is my salvation. So we ask God to forgive. And forgiveness is, is powerful. Forgiveness restores. Forgiveness reconciles. It gets rid of all the garbage that sits between us and God. It cleans it right up and it opens the way back to the Father. And this forgiveness is not cheap, it came at a huge cost. It is a forgiveness which comes at the cost of the blood of God. And because it comes at such a great cost, it has great power it deals with the problem, it lets us live in fellowship with God. And how do we access it? How do we get it? Well, what does the Bible say? Repent and believe, and you will have the forgiveness of sin. Your sins will be washed away. Repent and believe. Your sins will be washed away, and times of refreshing will come upon you from the Lord. That, that's how easy it is. All we need to do is look to Christ. It's that simple. Now, you may have in your life, as I have in mine, garbage, that mountain, that wall of garbage, which blocks access to God. It needs to be dealt with. And, and maybe we, we go, certainly we do, we go every day in, the, to, in prayer to the Lord. We ask Him to remove those sins. But maybe there's stuff way back in my life. There's this guilt that I carry. There's this guilt that you carry that's crushing you. Maybe you never told anybody. And it just kind of sits there. You kind of wall it off. There's, there's a spot in your life where there's this undealt with garbage. It hasn't been taken away. It's just sitting there festering and rotting, and filling the spiritual home of your heart with its putrid smell. brother and sister, you know that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I think you've noticed how I emphasize that the the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the forgiveness of all our sins. Don't hold on to one, even one of your sins. Don't hold on. Don't cover it up. There is so much freedom in just giving it over to God, Say, Lord, take this away, and he will. There's nothing so shameful, nothing so gross, nothing so horrible, nothing so wicked, nothing so vile that Jesus' blood cannot just get rid of it. Wash it clean. It's gone. If you're holding on to something you don't dare to confess to God, because you think, well, why would God forgive me for that? You need to know that the devil's making you do that. The devil's inciting you to choose what is very foolish for your life, that you hold on to that sin without confessing it. What does the Bible say? You repent, you believe, you're forgiven. When I did not confess my sins as the psalmist in Psalm 32, my bones were like wasting away. I was just feeling horrible. I was falling apart. But I confessed my sin, and you forgave. Right, right there. That's, there's no, no set of things that has to happen. I confess, you forgive. And then what is the consequence? Well, what does the Bible say? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Unconfessed sin, it steals our peace with God. Don't hold onto it. And so what we're praying, as the Lord Jesus instructs us to pray, we're praying, Lord, please don't stop taking away the garbage. Please keep forgiving me. Please keep cleansing me. Please keep reconciling with me. Keep restoring what sin has broken and healing what sin has hurt. And Lord, your patient, kind, infinitely generous, forgiving, reconciling love is drawing me and keeping me in a joy-filled relationship of love and trust with you. When my sin is gone, it's all dealt with. I'm not not scared of you, Lord. I'm not afraid. But with boldness, through that new and living way that Jesus has opened beyond the curtain, I can come into your presence and I know that I'm welcome. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm accepted. I know that I look to you as perfect and righteous as Jesus, your son, is. That's the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Now, If we know the power of that gospel, if we know the power of God's forgiveness that Jesus tells us to ask for, how does it make sense to enjoy that with God and then go off and choke my neighbor and demand vengeance and full payment for how they've wronged me? I've wronged you. I say, Lord, I, I, I've wronged you. I can't fix it. Can you fix it? Can you deal with it? Can you forgive it? And he does. How can I go to my neighbor and say, well, you've wronged me and there ain't no fixing it. You're going to pay. I want full satisfaction for what you have done to me. And the Lord Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer, don't be like that. We pray forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, because the flow of God's love and grace and forgiveness flows into us, and it must flow through us. You can't have one without the other. You can't love God without loving your brother. And so we pray, Lord, you've, you've changed my heart, and your love fills me, and, and your love fills me with these new spiritual superpowers, because now I can do things that I couldn't do before. Now, little me, still in my, on this side of glory, still fighting sin, still trying to put off what's left, the remnants of the flesh, even so I have this new superpower that I can begin to love others. I can even love people who are unkind to me. I can even love people who have hurt me i can even love my enemies you can't have one without the other brothers and sisters they go together we can do that because his grace is at work in us because he has given us a new heart he's filled us with his love and that changes everything Now in Ephesians 4, it begins the chapter with the the picture of the body, and we've been looking at that from different angles throughout the year as it's been a theme for the home visits. You think of a body, how can a body survive if it's at war with itself? You sometimes have somebody who's in a terrible situation where they have, and I don't know the technical words for it, but the the, the immune system begins to attack the body. The body attacks itself. And if, if, if the, the body attacks the head, for instance, you're in trouble. You're going to suffer greatly. Or if the different members of the body are at war and they're all inflamed against one another, we can't live that way. And so what we're praying is, Lord, bring healing. Give us the healing medicine of your divine love and forgiveness so that we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now imagine a body like that. Imagine a church like that. A church which lives in the power of that forgiving healing, reconciling love of God where we are slow to anger, patient quick to forgive and to reconcile where we don't attack each other we don't gossip about each other we don't accuse each other we don't nurture grudges but we open our hearts to one another and we let the life giving, the life changing the reconciling love of God flow The love which covers a multitude of sins. The love which transforms and reconciles and heals and unites. A church like that would be a taste of heaven. A taste of how things should be. And that is our prayer. Lord, please make that happen in the power of the blood of Christ and let it begin with me. Amen.